What's up, y'all? Like I told you, we're going to keep preaching Pistons going in the summer. So here's another edition of the Pistons podcast at Freep.com on your Detroit Pistons and the NBA. And this week's or this episode's guest is the Prince of Darkness, the King of Sadness, or whatever you want to be called, Free Press columnist Drew Sharp. What do you prefer when everyone refers to your uh, gloomy uh, nicknames? Which one do you prefer? Well, as I wrote a couple weeks ago, I could have my name legally changed to Darth Hader, considering as often it's been called that. So, but there's copyright infringement, though, because uh, I'm sure George Lucas with Star Wars would have would take issue with that. But uh, uh, the Dungeon of Doom, uh, when when, that when Jim amazing, that was amazing. When Jim Caldwell said that, and he was looking me dead in the face when he said that. <laughs> you know, it's the Dungeon of Doom, and I'm look, and I'm saying thank you very much. And it's one of the amazing things about Drew is this. You know, whenever you know you're out in the public and people recognize you work for the Detroit Free Press and they recognize that I cover the Pistons or whatever, I always get, is Drew Sharp really that negative? And I'm a, and I don't know if I would call it negative, but you are a natural contrarian. Um, your cousin, uh, Scott Perry, uh, who former Pistons uh, uh, executive, now he is uh, at the Orlando Magic. He's the number two guy down in Orlando. He always says that you guys were you were like this when you were a kid, so it comes naturally. Oh yeah, Scott, when he was a uh, assistant coach at the University of Michigan under Steve Fitcher, at that time that was during the Fab Five, and I was one of the first. I was the first columnist in '97 in Detroit to write that Steve Fisher should be fired because of the of the Fab Five thing. So so Scott <laughs> tell, so Scott tells me the story that Steve Fisher came up came up to him not long after that comment goes, "Are you and your cousin still on a speaking basis?" <laughs> <laughs> and Scott just started laughing, goes, said, Steve, <laughs> this is just the way Drew is. <laughs> anyway, uh, we can sit here and talk about uh, the inside baseball of this business and the uh, perceived uh, negativity of Mr. Drew Sharp. Uh, but there is stuff uh, floating or, abound, or stuff abounds now, but the Pistons, the draft um, is to tomorrow and um, shortly after that, free agency. But first, let's talk a little Pistons draft. The Pistons have the 18th pick. Um, earlier this week, Stan Van Gundy said they were going to go best player available, um, which seems to indicate they're not really all that concerned with either someone like a hometown guy like a Denzel Valentine or even like a Thon Maker, who um, the Sudanese big man that people think maybe the Pistons should, you know, got gamble and try to go for, like, hit some home run. But what are your thoughts on the Pistons draft um, as they head into this draft? The first time they're not in the lottery since 2000. Well, the first, the first yeah. non-lottery pick since, uh, I guess it would be Rodney's. No, Austin Day, actually. Austin Day. Was Austin Day. Yeah, yeah, that was 09. 09, yes. 09 was their first. And Austin Day was a sparkling pick there, oh wasn't God. it? Yeah, when he was just an amazing player. When he's just amazing. Oh, my goodness. But you look at, because I was there with Stan when he talked with reporters earlier this week, and – you know, this is not the, the situation he wanted to be in. He thought he had that pick, trade it to the Houston Rockets for the deadline, but then the, uh, you know, the, in, the injury. I think Stan realized at 18, you're not going to see a game changer. This is a poor draft in the first round, overall quality. The overall quality is poor, which is why some of these guys have decided to leave after freshman year because they knew that, you know, if you wait another year, you're probably oh, not going to be the first. supposed to be considered better, exactly. a deeper draft. Exactly. So uh, from that standpoint, if you're Van Gundy, you're going, it, it's going to be hard to really gain any real value out of this pick. You thought that you gained true value when you made the trade for 
uh, a rotation uh, piece that you uh, knew what you had. Dantonus Matayunas. I know I put you the first name, but it's Matayunas. Yes. Matayunas. When you had him, you thought he would, might take care of your stretch four issues, but then the back problems came up. They had to pull out of the trade, and now they're stuck <laughs> at 18. When you're looking at all these names, and Vince, you know, you, you've done this. Go back to the research of the past picks taking 18th overall. What was the last player who had an excellent career drafted 18th overall? And that was Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars in 1985. And since then, they've only had three players taken at 18. This is since Dumars in 85. That's even made an all-star team. David West, B.J. Armstrong, and, uh, and Mark Jackson. When you're picking 18, you're pretty much just looking for a rotational piece anyway. And here's the thing about this draft, and I agree with um, Drew. Like, last year's draft, the one that produced Devin Booker, uh, Justice Winslow, Stanley Johnson, Kristaps Porzingis, and, oh, and a guy I just love who I think might have the potential to be the best player in a few years in the league, Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, my God, he's a beast. Oh, my God, he's amazing. Um, this draft doesn't have that these where you're going to find guys who might potentially be stars like, well into the draft. But here's the thing about it. A guy that people might think is pretty good at, like, say, a 7 or 8, you might find a guy at 18 or 20 or 21 who might be even better or just as good at that, which is why people ask me about the possibility of trading up. I would say, why? Right. And Jeff Bauer, he and I talked about this a week ago, and he was saying that there's a problem, there, there's a lack of consensus on what the consensus should be in the first round because – there, there are probably maybe four or five guys who should go in the top five who are pretty much they're, – they're the best of a weak lot. But when you're drafting sixth or seventh, you're absolutely right, Vince. It's, it's not that much of a difference between who you might get at six or seven or eight than what you're going to get at 18 or 19. It might depend on who you like. Like someone that I do like, um, you're, you're projecting. You're not thinking that this guy is going to be a – uh, immediate contribution. But you look at his skill set, you say, okay, this guy might have a chance. Someone like Deontay Davis from Michigan State. Uh, right now, Draft Express, um, their mock draft, they have him falling to 18 for the Pistons. I think the Pistons would love that guy because he's a guy who a prospect. Uh, he, he might not be an all-star, but he projects to be, a, if you look at him, if everything breaks right for him, he might be a player in, say, two years. Uh, but, again, a prospect like Davis who, if he'd have waited around and, tr and like people say, and waited till next year, heck, he might have fell out of the first round. He could have gotten better, though. He could have gotten better. But with better prospects, he might have got pushed True. even to later in the first round. So, True. you know, like, who was that Maryland guy who, uh, the year the Maryland Triple? won? Not oh, no. Back when they won the national championship, there was a guy. Juan who, Dixon? It wasn't Juan Dixon. It was a big guy. And he was like. This guy, he played with uh, uh, Wilcox, Chris Wilcox, and it was another guy. And he was like a freshman, and oh my God, everybody talked about how amazing he was. But the, he left as a four-year player. He wasn't even drafted uh, by the time he got done. So that's always the risk when you don't hang around. But Davis is a guy I like. But if you look at him, what's the difference between him, say, uh, Henry Ellison, or who might go higher, or Scal, and I can't pronounce the uh, UK's uh, last name, but... Uh, Labissier. Labissier, yes. Uh, so, but when you're a team like the Pistons, though, you think that you can get an experienced piece, even as a rotation guy, an experienced rotation guy, like a Henry Ellison, Denzel Valentine maybe, but someone like that, <laughs> even if he's a, your eighth guy or ninth guy off the bench, at least he's, a, he's someone who might be able to give you some type of contribution as a rookie to help a team that thinks it's good. Sure, sure. 
But if you take Davis, if you say if Davis falls, and you know, if that were to happen, I think it would be a no-brainer for them to take him. But he's a guy you're putting on the shelf for two years. Exactly. Oh, oh or you're parking him in uh, Grand Rapids next year, basically, yeah. and then basically you unwrap him at Summer League next year. Okay, let's see what we got. Um, but when you are a team with one of the youngest cores in the league, maybe you can afford to do that. Um, I don't know. People always look for immediate dividends from the draft, but, you know, we – you can debate where the Pistons are. You know, me and you both agree, have questions about whether a team as Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson can't really lead you anywhere. So, which is, well, that's why I think people like Stanley Johnson and Catavius Caldwell Pope are probably the most important people in the whole entire program because they need to get better to push this up higher. Uh, but that being said, uh, they still are in this position where they have these young players. So, you would assume that the Better days ahead for Contavious, Reggie, uh, Andre, Stanley, Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris. You at least think some of them are going to get better. Maybe not all of them maybe are what they are, but you would think of that group of six or seven guys that some of them were still ascending and still getting better. Okay, Preacher Man, I'm going to give you three names, sure. guys who may fall to the Pistons at number 18. Thursday, give me a brief synopsis on what you think they are. All of them have come in for interviews. Malik Beasley. Freshman point guard, Florida State. Malik Bisley is a guy, a guy that they like a lot. Um, I would, you, would, you can see that, if nothing else, he came in here for a visit where he was the only guy here. He couldn't work out, uh, really. Uh, he could he can do sh light shooting because he still has a stress fracture that he's still recovering from. Um, I like his potential, not only as a guy who can just shoot it, I think he has the potential to be uh, more than just a 3 and D guy. You know, when you look at the, the term, a guy who can hit the three, and defend. So three and D. That's basically these basically these wings. That's what you look for them to do. I think he has potential to be someone who can also put it on the floor a little bit. So he's a guy I like. But he has issues with the with the stress fracture. He has a rod in his leg still. Yes. Do the Pistons really want to take a chance on another player coming from an injury? You had the Spencer Dinwiddie issue, but he was a second round pick. Sure, sure, sure. But, but do you really want to take the chance? Though instead of more of a knee, which knee is maybe a little bit different than maybe say a leg. You know, leg is one of those things where. People think, you know, that they can, unless it's like some catastrophic leg where you, or injury where you, like, maybe lose some bone or something like that. People think you can recover from stress fractures relatively easy. Malachi Richardson, freshman, 6'6", shooting guard, Syracuse, kind of introduced himself during uh, the Orange's unlikely run to the Final Four this year. He can really shoot it. Um, and, he, and the thing about him that, you know, raises some flags is, when you look at him analytically, and we talk about things like true shooting, uh, his numbers are some of the worst uh, ever when you look at like draft prospects. But the thought process is that he's a very inefficient player. Coach him better, knowing when to go and when not to go, and maybe you get the more natural score that he, the scoring thinks that he. He can put does. the ball on the floor though. Yes, he can. Something you can't teach. Yes, exactly. You saw that even as a freshman late in his freshman year. He can put the ball on the floor. So if again, if you put him in a position where, coach him up to where he's not doesn't make bad decisions, you might have a nice efficient score. But that's the knock on him. Basically, like any young player, he plays wild, out of control, and he does things that make coaches pull their hair out. And the guy who seems by he believes the mock drafts. Stan Van Gundy doesn't like the mock drafts, but he reads them. He reads every last one of them. Though. He does. He likes you know. to read them. He does. They're entertainment purposes only. Notre Dame point guard Demetrius Jackson, 6'2". Both you and I talked to him in Chicago when he was out there at the draft combine. He, he seems to fit 
what you'd be looking for for a backup point guard in this league. And the Pistons, supposedly, their first first in their wish list right now is to get a backup point guard. What do you think of Demetrius Jackson? I like him. Um, athletic is all get out. You know, I think his uh, – one of those jumps of his, I think, was one of the longest. I think it was a max vertical jump, like 44 inches. Um, so that's amazing athleticism for a point guard. Still kind of growing into the role. Um, earlier in his career, he had Jerry and Grant, who had primary ball handling responsibilities. And some of the fit, when he got handed the ball, some of the efficiency numbers went down a little bit. Obviously, he was more of a focal point. Uh, but that being said, he shot the ball extremely well. His first two years in Notre Dame, around 40%. It dropped off to like around 35, which is still acceptable three-point range from your, uh, from your, um, um, from your point guard. Um, so definitely someone that I think the Pistons are considering, no doubt, no doubt. What are the odds that they go with a foreign player who they can just stash in Europe for a while and save the cap space for at least a year or two? You know what? The thing about that is this. You know, it would be good probably to save some cap space, but also you got to remember – Rookie contracts, when you're paying people like Andre Drummond max deals and Tobias Harris has a max deal, Reggie Jackson has a near max deal. We're going to talk about it earlier. I mean, later in this thing about you go out and get a new free agent who gets a near or a max deal. A rookie contract, a guy making nothing peanuts, could basically need, is needed to fill out your roster. So um, I would say they have not ruled out the possibility of drafting a stash a guy, especially with the second pick, they, second, second pick they have in the, in the uh, second round. But I don't think they're going to go that route. I think they're going to have a guy that's actually going to be on the roster on part of their 15, active 15. So there's value in that rookie contract. Yes, because you can afford to pay everybody else right. if you got all these expensive contracts. So someone like Stanley, well, there's another reason why Stanley's one of the more important people <laughs> in the roster. He probably arguably can become one of their better players, one of their top two or three players. And also he's going to come cheap, which is we, that's a whole other conversation, the whole uh, unfairness kind of the uh, uh, salary cap. It restricts someone like Stanley's right. earning power and someone like LeBron James. Really, how much should LeBron James make on the open market? If he, How much should yeah. – it should be like $50, $60 million a year, right. basically. Right. But he, LeBron James subsidizes so people like Charlie Villanueva – make four million dollars. <laughs> I thought we could go one podcast without mentioning Charlie, but apparently, but apparently we couldn't have. So we got the draft Thursday night. You know, it, it, they'll draft a recognizable name. How much this person will contribute, if at all, uh, I have doubts about that. But then that leads us off the launching pad to what should be a very interesting free agency season. The NBA salary cap was just reported is going to be up to ninety-four million yep. bucks. That's a jump. It was seventy-two this past season. Basically, money is going to be – teams are going to be spending like drunken sailors on shoreline. Yeah. So that alone covers Andre Drummond's exactly. right there. That alone covers Andre Drummond's. Exactly. His and max – the fact that the cap's going to jump up $22 million in one summer. And I would say, folks, you know, eyes are going to be bugging out of people's head when they see people like Ryan Anderson um, get like max deals. But it's just a thing where all this money, all this TV money is coming into the system. And with the, it's got to be spent. It's got to be spent. And with the, uh, with people like LeBron James being capped at thirty million dollars, whatever his number is, it's got to go spread out somewhere, and it's going to spread to people like Ryan Anderson, um, any number of free agents. You know, I heard that when Brandon Jennings was traded to Orlando, uh, his people told Orlando that you know what, we can make this long-term arrangement. You know, um, fifteen million dollars a year. 
And you look at Brandon Jennings now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy recovering from Achilles. He didn't have a very good season next year. Mm-hmm. But they know what kind of money is going to be out there. And I seriously doubt Brandon Jennings gets $50 million a year this offseason. But that being said, I wasn't surprised if he gets 10, 11, 12. Yes. And on the subject of free agency, you know, uh, you reported in the free press back in January that potential free agent Al Horford from the Atlanta Hawks was going to be uh, he's going to be a free agent this summer. Okay, a free agent of interest for the Pistons. A person of interest. A he's on. He's, of you know, he's on the the radar. He's on the radar for them. Now, ESPN reported uh, Wednesday morning that uh, the Pistons, the Lakers, and the Magic. Are going to be interested in all of a sudden when ESPN reports it. Okay, it must be true. Well, <laughs> Vinny had this back in January, folks. That uh, this was someone who's going to be Thank you, Drew. Thank on, you, Drew. on the on the radar uh, for the Pistons. Now he's thirty. That's a drawback. He's going to get a max salary. Add that to the max salary that Andre Drummond's going to get. Mm-hmm. How good of an acquisition would that be for this team going forward? Here's the pro. Um, Everyone gets caught up in the finding a stretch four who can knock down threes. Al Horford's really not a three-point shooter. He can make threes, but he can't, He has more of a mid-range game. And that can provide spacing just as well as a guy at the three-point line, just from a 15 to 16-inch range. But Al Horford's true impact is defensively. If you ever – guys, just Google Al Horford pick-and-roll defense, and you will see any number of um, uh, uh, pieces – uh, basketball websites have done showing you how this guy can maneuver on the open perimeter with quick feet, long wingspan, quick hands. He's a disruptive pick and roll. He's a he's a pick and roll nightmare basically defensively, and he just pick, he destroys pick and rolls actually. Why can't Drummond be that guy? Well, I would say this. Obviously, there's a want to involved there, and obviously, I would say the main thing is probably experience. I mean. Al Horford's been around at it for eight, nine years, and Drummond's been at it for four years. Now, you know what? One of the things we got to talk about, Andre, too, he hasn't really been at it for four years. Really, how, how long has he been had real good coaching? Two years. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so I would say when you look at Andre, even though he's about to get paid like he's a four-year or five-year veteran, yes, well, well. He's only got really Stan Van Gundy coaching since for the last two years, and he's gotten a lot better since Stan Van Gundy got I'm not going to let you sit there and make excuses for Drummond, though. I mean, I understand that he's going to get paid because the money's there. But my thinking is if you're going to sign Horford to $21, 22000000 million a year plus giving Drummond $23, 24000000 a year, you're basically putting Horford in that spot because he's able to give you something that Drummond can't. No, 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 no. But he's also you got two bigs. Now, look at what Oklahoma City did in the uh, playoffs. People think you can't play with big guys anymore, two big seven-footers. You can if, you, if they're mobile, fast, and athletic big guys. And you got stars, you know, on the periphery. Okay, that's part of it. And that's obviously obviously uh, uh, Oklahoma City's uh, bread and butter is buttered by uh, KD and Russell Westbrook. Right. But a reason, major reason they were up 3-1 in that series was because of the way Adams and Cantor controlled the glass. Right. There was and the reason, I'll, I'll be honest, the reason they beat the Spurs, because the Spurs have beaten the Thunder, I guess, or or at least they've handled the Thunder before, I guess, or or they have, they've went back and forth in that series. But, but, but the reason, a major reason they beat the Spurs is because they completely dominated Tim Duncan and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge with... Protecting uh, the rim and controlling the glass. Yes. that's. I mean, there was there were quarters where they got every rebound against mm-hmm. the Spurs and against uh, the Warriors and stuff. So, 
you can still win that way, I guess, as long as you got one guy who can make knock down open jumpers and you both got two mobile, quick, big guys. You can still, that's still the ultimate. You'd rather have a good, quick, mobile 6'10 guy over a quick, mobile 6'7, 6'8 guy, if you get what I'm saying. A quicker, a quicker four, an athletically quicker four. Yeah, you'd rather for that person to be longer and right. taller. If, if, but you don't, you don't want a lumbering 6'11, 6'7 foot guy like a Greg Monroe, who back in the 70s or 80s would have probably been coveted, but he's a lumbering, slow right. big. So he is to the point where he might be a bench player in this new NBA, if you look at it, look at his skill set. Is part of the interest in Horford, perhaps, that he might be able to, to mentor oh, Drummond? Oh, no doubt. Uh, he is a professional. He is a guy who, uh, I don't know if he's one of those rah-rah leadership type guys, but leader by example type guys. Um, very mature. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day about Horford, and I asked him, that's known him a uh, his whole life, and basically he's one of those guys that came out of the womb mature. So, you know, he's just been a mature guy. You may, you know, you may even be familiar with him a little bit from when he was at the Grand Ledge. I don't know how much. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, uh, so yes, they're a part of it. This team, a team that the Pistons organization thinks is on the rise or think is on the come up, uh, they can use a veteran who's been through some wars and not just a veteran, like, say, when they signed Tonti Billups or Karan Butler, a still who is a contributing good veteran because, you know, that old guy who's just sitting over there who can't play anymore, they're really not listening to him. But a guy who's still I. E. Steve Blake. Yes. Yes, exactly. So if you've got an old guy over there who can actually play, that guy carries more weight when he, comes, when he starts when he's telling people how we should do it and how things should be done because they see a guy who's been an all-star game before, who was an all-star last year, and let's be frank about it, at the age of 30, he's a potential, he could possibly go to an all-star, all-star game again. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're doing this podcast, they are still celebrating Cleveland, their first champion, the city's first professional championship since 1964. And LeBron James told the crowd in Cleveland his plan is to remain a Cavalier next season. At least he said at this moment (laughs) (laughs) is to remain a Cavalier. If, I, that, that's probably more a shot at Dan Gilbert. Like, don't do nothing crazy now, okay? Don't, do nothing, don't, don't say it now. I mean, don't do anything crazy. Don't mess this up, Dan. Don't. Yeah, get back to me in another week. <laughs> if, if my owner can keep his mouth shut, maybe maybe I'll stick if around. If Dan doesn't do anything to piss me off between now and the next week, right. we're good. <laughs> but let's say for argument's sake, LeBron stays a Cleveland Cavalier for the rest of his career, at least for the next three or four years. Can the Pistons do anything with can that? Can the Pistons do anything? I would say... Uh, no. <laughs> if you just, I mean, it's a sad realization. It's, it's honest. It's honest. And you know, I, and you know, barring something crazy happening, I don't see it happening. And you know what? I think almost, is there a team in the East that can say different? I mean, even, well, the, even the good ones. <laughs> exactly. And look at Atlanta. Now, Atlanta is where, where Horford plays right now. You know, they might have reached their, their ceiling the last couple seasons. Maybe the Hawks are saying, look, let's not overpay. For Horford, because we ain't catching Cleveland. Yeah, and the main and thing look about at Chicago. It, Chicago might be rebuilding. One well. more tidbit about Horford. One thing about here, and this kind of plays into our conversation. Um, the fifth year might be important to him. The Hawks can offer him that fifth year. So if the Hawks offer him a fifth year, it might be a moot point anyway. Mm-hmm. The Pistons' interest. But that being said, Atlanta's making that decision. Do we really want to go down this path with a max deal for a thirty-year-old guy? And we're probably not going to do anything in the next five years anyway. So that. A question the Hawks are asking themselves. If you're the Atlanta Hawks, you'd probably say no, correct? Right. You yeah. think just let yeah. them go. Yeah. So 
Let, let, let them go. Uh, I'm not sure how many draft picks they have this year. But I guess here's why you keep trying, I guess, and why you – because you don't never know what could happen. Because let's say in – would Golden State have won the championship, say, if uh, Andrew Bogut didn't go out with an injury and Draymond Green – and kicked him in the nads. And kept kicking people repeatedly in the nads and getting himself suspended for a game. And Steph Curry didn't get hurt in the first round. He came back, but some say he might have been hobbled. Um, Andre Godala's back. So you you keep playing because you never know what can happen. Maybe that might be the one year LeBron James <laughs> twists an ankle or something. <laughs> That's why you keep trying. That's what you're hoping. That's what you're hoping for, though. The odds aren't that good. Well, and I would say this. How long does how long will LeBron be at the height of his powers? Still, I would say I would I would think another three or four years. Okay, there's signs of slippage now. I mean, he's still that powerful uh, locomotive. First step ain't quite there yet, like they used to have. Uh, another thing that has gone a little bit is his shooting. You know, in Miami, he worked on it to the point where he's a forty percent shooter, and I think part of that the shooting thing might be. Legs ain't quite what right. they used to be, you know what I'm saying? But so. does he evolve into uh, Jordan in the second part of Jordan's career when he won those, those second three-peat? Sure. sure. Where Jordan was more of a perimeter player. Sure. He wasn't the explosive guy sure. off the dribble. He wasn't Air Jordan as much as we saw the first part of his career. I would say I agree with your premise of your question. As I said, I think there, there's probably nothing they can do. But that being said, um, LeBron, like I said, he, he has reached that age. He's on the other side of 30, and sometimes it goes a little bit quicker than you think sometimes. Where, So you'll see. And another thing about LeBron, and you know this, um, you can just probably speak to this, when you were covering the bad boys. After the second championship, hunger kind of went away a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, the hunger left, and, uh, and they were starting to break down. Isaiah was breaking down physically. That, that was obvious. And... It was clear that they realized that the new power, the new force was elevating sure, with sure. Jordan. So you sure. did the best that you could. But you look at the NBA now. I mean, the NBA has to be ecstatic. That in Cleveland Golden State, they have a poor man's version of the Celtics Lakers. Very much so. Two years in a row. Two years in a row. And they and both won. And, and they both won what? now. And you can definitely see right now a rubber match coming uh, next year. Uh, both teams are – I mean, I know Golden State probably going to retool, you know. Um, they're going to come back probably hungrier. Um, so, but you know what? Back to your Cleveland question. But if you look at Kyrie, though, he's a guy who hasn't necessarily been the most um, um, available guy in the world. So, will he go? I mean, he came back from an injury this year. So, I don't, has he ever made it through a whole season without being injured in his career yet? So, I think so. yeah. So, yeah, so, so I mean, you're hoping for injuries. If you're a Pistons fan, well, of course, the hope no, that you can catch Cleveland. You're not going to catch Cleveland on the weight of your of your level of talent. All you have to hope for if you're a Piston fan to catch Cleveland is that Cleveland has to be swamped with injuries. That's swamp. Just one. Kyrie. LeBron can't do it by himself. <laughs> and I would look, look at Cleveland as uh, uh, roster's constructed now. They got depth, prob depth problems going forward. Um, a lot of money they spend, even though they'll probably, probably be able to dress them and stuff, they'll probably be able to go get people and stuff. They have a nimble front office and whatever. I would, I would say on the face of it, yeah, definitely. But you know how it is. We keep doing this stuff. You never know what happens. You never know what happens in this game. Before we go, uh, you're going to tip everyone off about who you think the Pistons are going to take, or you want to wait and let them come back to Freep.com sometime Thursday afternoon. And I'm going to I'm... tell you, because by the time this uh, goes up on our website, it will probably be on our website. I 
predicted. Shoot, let me double check to make sure I got so this right. Files here. Okay, because I've like done like four. Of these he's he's going through the Ellis files here, folks. Let's I've see. Done like four of these things, so I'll make sure I give you the latest version. Doug Collins. What the hell is Doug Collins doing? <laughs> I have the Pistons taking Malik Beasley, Florida State. You told me that Tuesday you liked him. I like him. I do. I do like him. But you know, another game, another name, you know, Juan Hernan Gomez for people you never heard of, you know. So, uh, but that's it though. But thanks, Drew, for joining us and. That's another edition of Preaching Pistons. Please check out the podcast at freep.com or iTunes. Download Michigan.com's Pistons app, Pistons Extra, as extra with an X, at the Apple App Store. See you at the Palace. Palace.